the African Defense Review podcast. I'm Richard Stupart, and today we have David Smith, founder and former director of the Central African Republic's Ndekeluka radio station, on the line to talk about the current situation in the country and future challenges for security. Welcome, David. Yep. To start off, can you maybe give us some background on how the current violence developed in this, the CAR? So some of the anti-Balaka groups, for example, that developed after the Selika rebels took power last year, a lot of those seem to have become the instigators of, of the current violence. But how exactly has that transformation taken place? Well, these various rebel groups, whether they be the, the factions of, that are anti-Balaka, and there's more than one, as you know, or, or the ex-Seleka, and there's more than one, Seleka group uh, roaming the country uh, heavily armed as well. They've been around for a very long time. They've been in in various forms. They've existed long before Seleka marched into Bangui in in March uh, 2013. One of the reasons for this, and it's important to understand the recent uh, history of the Central African Republic, is that whoever is in power in Bangui, and this this goes back right to independence in 1960, from the time when, when David Daco became the first president of the newly independent republic, and, and right up until now, including the current interim president, Catherine Sambukanza, whoever has been in charge in Bangui has really only been in charge of the capital city, and, and little outside that city, uh, with a few exceptions of small towns or villages from where the president has, has come, where their, their ethnic power base may be. But generally, outside, outside the capital, uh, there's been no rule of law. The armed forces, the, the, the force uh, armée centrafricaine, the FACA, have never been in charge of the entire country. Uh, there's never been a functioning police force that's been in charge of, of, of municipal areas in the, in the entire country, and the gendarmerie has never been in charge either. So these, these groups that are today called anti-Balaka and, and Soleka are just sort of reformed versions of various rebel groups that have represented different factions, whether they be uh, the president at the time, or opposition leaders, or regional warlords, they've always been around uh, wreaking havoc and, and using whatever uh, whatever uh, arms they can find, from, from pangas to, to, to AK-47s and everything in between, to, 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 to loot and pillage. That's the, the, the main source of income for most people in these areas. And in the media at the moment, a lot of the violence has been captured as being Christian militias targeting uh, Muslims sitting in the capital. That certainly seems like an oversimplification. How, what, what, is, what are the lines along which the, the different groups have been forming? Well, for people who want to understand CAR without really looking, looking into the details, it's easy to say it's become a religious war. But it's not. And that is certainly an element, it is certainly an aspect, an important aspect today, a relatively new one. Uh, as I, I repeat what so many people before me and many after me have and will say, that Muslims and Christians and animists, another big group there, have, have lived side by side relatively peacefully for, for the, the, the entire history of this country. The last time there was a, a, a big rift between Muslims and animists and Christians, and in those days predominantly animists rather than Christians, was during the time of the slave trade. So we're going back over a hundred years now. I mean, they, the, one of the reasons the CAR, the large country that it is, the size of France and Belgium combined, has so few people, only four and a half million people, 
is that much of the population was completely decimated during the slave trade. It was at the heart of where, where people were removed, first from slave, Arab slave traders that came from what is today Sudan, and then from European slave traders who came from, from the West, the Portuguese, uh, the French, and, and, and in areas not far from there, the English. So that, that population never really built up to large, to large levels after that. Another reason for the small population is that it ne the country has never had a proper functioning infrastructure of any kind. So there's never been anything more than subsistence farming in, in most of the country, and that subsistence farming hasn't allowed uh, people in rural area, areas to prosper and have, have larger families. And in, in terms of the, the distribution of the, the current like the killings, is there any real clarity on how widespread the violence is and which regions are more affected than others? From what we know, the violence is incredibly widespread. And it appears to, I mean, the information that comes in appears worse almost on a, on a daily basis. Now again, because it's such a large country, it's difficult to have eyes and ears everywhere I mean, for, for a variety of reasons. Again, the lack of infrastructure. Uh, um, there's, there are you know, the, the number of peacekeepers on the ground, the 2,000 French soldiers of uh, Sangaris and the roughly 6,000 members of the African Union-led MISCA force can't be everywhere all the time. Uh, the, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of violence, a lot of attacks, a lot of rebel activity, especially in the area to the north, the northeast, and the northwest of Bangui. And, I mean, over, over the last week, week or two, what has been especially troubling is the, the number of extremely uh, violent attacks near the border with Chad. Uh, in, where are we now? In, 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 um, in, in May, in the, at the beginning of May, the end of April, rather it was at the end of April, there was an attack on, on a town uh, northwest of Bangui, a place called Bogila, uh, where uh, heavily armed people believed to be uh, linked to Soleka attacked a clinic. And you know, we all know the story now. Three members of Médecins Sans Frontières and many others were killed and, and, and others injured. Now, these people who attacked are believed to have come from near the Chadian border, perhaps from across the Chadian border on the Chadian side. And they're also believed to have been responsible for a second attack in Bogila that, that happened um, uh, that happened uh, on, on the 6th of May. Uh, and there was a large firefight between members of the French Sangaras forces and, and roughly 40 heavily armed rebels. Uh, uh, a number of the rebels are reported by the French to have been killed. The French say they, they did not suffer any losses. But what's very disturbing about this, they're believed to be members of, members of ex-Soleca in an area that is dominated by the anti-Balaka, in a, an overwhelmingly Christian part of the country. So if, if these people are, are going back to Chad for safety, it in, it's, it's a, an indication that a lot of the concerns that Chad is still, despite the Chadian forces having left Misca, that Chad is still playing an important role in the Central African Republic and its, it's, it's uh, instability. Something, by the way, that Chad has generally always been responsible for. Can we maybe talk about that for a second? So there were uh, certainly allegations that Chad is funded, supported, partly staffed um, the original Seleka rebels that backed uh, Jotodo when he marched towards Bangui, and that Chadian soldiers within uh, the CIR have been colluding, or at the very least making, or in the past, have been making Selika's uh, goals a lot easier. 
Um, what is the history between Chad and the CAR that, that Chad is involved in in this way? And how much of, of the Chadian involvement is rumor versus what is known? Well, it's, it's certainly no secret that Chad, has, notably under its current president, Idris Deby, has, has been the kingmaker in the Central African Republic. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's because of Idris Deby that Francois Bozizé, the president who was ousted last March, remained in power as long as he did. The, uh, the Chadians provided his presidential guard. Uh, Debbie was his, his big protector. Because when, when Bozide came to power, toppling Ange Félix Patassé, the, the president prior to Bozide, uh, Patassé had already fallen out with Debbie, and so uh, Debbie was looking for a change. And one may ask, why, why do the Chadians care who is in power in Bangui? And the answer is fairly simple. And it's, it's, it's economic reasons more than anything else. In Chad's main source of income these days is from oil in the southern part of the country, notably around a, a small town just north of the border with the Central African Republic called Doba. And if you look at geological maps that show where this uh, oil basin is located, the basin uh, crosses the, 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 the border between the two countries. And... You know, I've spoken to geologists in Bangui about this. Um, according to, according to, to local geologists, the way the geological formation uh, uh, exists, if drilling were to occur on the Central African Republic side of the border in that basin, it would drain the Chadian oil field. And so, in, in very simple terms, Idris Deby's main source of foreign currency would, would, would disappear into the Central African Republic. In or in, put, it, put in, in, in other terms, it's in Chad, or more notably Idris Deby's interest to have an unstable neighbor, especially in the north, to make sure that drilling does not take place. Let's also not forget that, that instability in the Central African Republic is not isolated just to that region. Mr. Deby, in, in, sitting in N'Djamena, twice in the past 10 years has had to fight off rebels from his own country who were trying to remove him from power. He needs the money from, from the oil fields and anywhere else he can get it to maintain a strong army. And Chad has a strong, well-equipped army. We saw how they operated in, in Mali two years ago when, when, when uh, Mali became the lead African, or sorry, when, when Chad became the lead African state working alongside the French with their Operation Cerval to, to uh, stop um, uh, insurgents from taking over the entire country. So it's, you know, Debbie is going to do whatever he can to hold on to power. He's not a popular president. Uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's from a minority ethnic group called the Zagawa. They come from the, the, the far east of his country on the border with Darfur. And if, he knows that if he lets down his guard, uh, there are a lot of people who want to take his place. And a lot of those people come from the south of the country. Um, a lot of the people who were who were living in the Central African Republic, the Chadians who lived there, are to were to a large extent. I say were because most of them aren't living there anymore, but were opponents to the the uh, Debi administration. And has Chad faced any diplomatic pressure over what's happening in the CAR? Up, up until recently, they had, for example, they were in theory part of the solution. They had forces as part of the FOMAC uh, deployment. Yeah, this is um, <laughs> this is this is. Uh, trickier ground to, to, to walk across. Uh, people who follow the Central African Republic, and whether it, uh, 
whether we're talking about experts in, in France or the UK or, or, or the US or anywhere else, they, they know what Debbie's up to and they know, they, they know what Chad is all about. But Debbie has got this, I guess one could call it a get out of jail card regarding the Central African Republic and that's Mali. Because of the important role that the Chadian forces played in securing Mali at, at the, the, the worst time in its most recent history, uh, Chad is able to get away with a lot of things it might normally not have gotten away with um, uh, in, in the Central African Republic. Then there's, there's another practical issue. I mean, Chad was part of FOMAC and then, and then MISCA. Uh, to a large extent, because it's extremely difficult to find boots to put on the ground in African peacekeeping missions. Every single peacekeeping mission on this continent, whether they be African Union missions or United Nations Department of Peacekeeping Operations, uh, are understaffed. Uh, um, it, when, when MISCA becomes a, a UN operation in September, uh, and we'll probably deal with that in a moment, MINUSCA, they're going to have to boost their numbers from, from 6,000 as it, as it stands now to 12,000. Where they're going to find those boots to put on the ground, it's anybody's guess. Chances are Chad will not be amongst them, but Chad's always going to be an important player there. Whether, whether observers, whether Central Africans, whether other neighbors in, 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 in the region like it or not, simply because they are a neighbor, they're an important neighbor, and... Uh, and, and, and they share a long history with, with the CAI. Let's <clears throat> move then to talk about the, the UN force, so plan for potentially sometime in September. Is the delay unusual for, for UN force? And is there has there been any indication as to who, which countries would be keen in, in sending troops? Uh, Keen's probably not the right word, uh, but um, a, lot of, a lot of people join, a lot of countries contribute troops to UN peacekeeping missions, more so than, than African Union peacekeeping missions, because to some extent, UN peacekeeping missions are development aid for the contributing countries as well. And it may sound harsh to say, but it's, in, it's, it's, it's a large income earner for a lot of uh, fragile or, or, or financially struggling states. Uh, only, developing, only developed world states generally pay their own way at UN peacekeeping missions. Whoever ends up joining MINUSCA, the mission that will be on the ground in, in September, We'll, we'll find that um, their army will get um, new equipment, their soldiers will get uh, wages higher than they generally receive at home. Uh, who's going to join? Well, it'll, prob it'll probably be the, the usual cast. There have been no commitments yet, as far as I know. But you know, the, uh, you know, in, in better days, when things are more stable in Nigeria, Nigeria is usually a major contributor to, to uh, UN peacekeeping missions, uh, India and Pakistan are usually big contributors. Egypt, in more stable times, is usually a large contributor as well. Um, you, know, you asked the question, why is it taking so long? In UN terms, this is not really long at all. Uh, it, takes, it takes quite a while to, to set up, to plan a peacekeeping mission. There's a lot of logistics involved. There's a lot of financing. Remember that, that the UN does not have its own real pot of money to pay for these things. And, and MINUSCA has estimated to, that its first year will cost somewhere in the region of 500 to 800 million dollars. That money has to come from the donor community. Uh, chances are it'll be the usual donors who pay, the, the uh, European Union, uh, the United States is a, is a big, 
fact, it's the largest contributor to UN peacekeeping. At the moment, MISCA, the AU-led force, is paid for almost entirely by, by European Union funds. Um, a, a, UN, a UN peacekeeping mission costs a lot more than an African Union peacekeeping mission. That's one of the reasons why members of the Security Council, notably the U.S., tends to be a bit wary about uh, converting a mission from, from AU to, to UN because it's going to cost more, and chances are it's, it's people in Washington who are going to have to fund the money uh, to do so. But getting off the ground in September is, is relatively quick. Uh, if there was no peacekeeping force on the ground right now, if MISCA and Sangar, Sangaris were not already deployed in the Central African Republic, I'd say it, 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 it's, it would be much more of a problem, a uh, concern, waiting for MINUSCA to deploy. But there are peacekeepers there. You know, they have their problems, they have their limitations, and, 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 and violence is still not under control. But at least there's at least there's something. Without them, it would only be the the the, uh, the Central Africans who have absolutely no uh, capacity to to bring stability to the country at all. Talking about Miska and Sangaris, what has been the, the strategy on their part for trying to to quell the violence? So it's not peacekeeping in, say, for example, the DRC sense, where there's a, a clear-ish um, target to go and you know, attack and defeat. Is this, have they been doing more sort of? heavily armed policing around the capital and surrounds? I mean, what, what is the strategy? Well, uh, it's a, a couple of factors there. Um, what, the, the, the main strategy for, the, for the, the French when they arrived was to secure the airport at Bangui so that supplies, uh, supplies could enter the country. When, when, when MISCA uh, in, increased its numbers and the European force uh, started to deploy, it, it, it made it possible for the for the French to expand their their operation. At the moment, there aren't enough there aren't enough peacekeepers in the country to bring about peace. For uh, all they're doing now is trying to um, fight fires in, in in areas where they happen to be within reach of of of, 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 of the of, of, of within reach of the, the the areas that have come under attack, and they're not always able to do so because, again, it's a large country and the transport infrastructure is very poor. And they're also keeping supply lines open. The French, Sangaris, and Miska have been deployed very heavily along the highway that, that runs from, uh, from Bangui to the border with Cameroon, because the main ground supply line for getting, uh, whether it be military equipment or, even more importantly, development aid in, is through the port of Douala in neighboring Cameroon. And uh, that, that road between the border with Cameroon and, and Bangui has, has been under attack many times by, by, by Seleka and Antibalaka. Uh, and just, I'd like to put something in perspective for a moment about, about numbers and how, for all the complaints people have about Miska and, and Sagaris, and many of them are justified, they also have a job to do which is above and beyond their means. The Central African Republic let me repeat, it's the size of France and Belgium combined. Or in, 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 and, and there are roughly 8,000 peacekeepers on the ground. When MINUSCA is deployed with 12,000 peacekeepers, 10,000 of those will be soldiers, 2,000 will be police, it's still not going to be enough. Let's take a look at a place, let's do some comparison here. In Kosovo, a very small country in, 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 in Europe, that, it, that, that would fit into a small corner of the Central African Republic. At its height, there were 50,000 
of the conflict there, there were 50,000 peacekeepers in, in Kosovo. Most of them NATO peacekeepers, some of them were from the UN as well, but 50,000, five zero thousand. And, 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 and today, 15 years after those 50,000 were deployed, there are still 4,000 peacekeepers there. They have a relatively uh, well-developed infrastructure. It's easy for peacekeepers to get from point A to point B anywhere in the country in Kosovo uh, very quickly. In the Central African Republic, if we've got if we've got a, a contingent based in, in the western part of the Central African Republic and there's, there's an incident in the east, they need air assets to get there and it could take an hour, an hour and a half to fly there if they're, if they're in fixed-wing aircraft. If they're, in, if, if they're traveling in helicopters, uh, it could take two, three hours to, to reach the, uh, the point where they have to be deployed. And with helicopters, there probably aren't enough soldiers on board to deal with the situa situation correctly. So in, in very simple terms, Minusca and Sangaris and, sorry, uh, Miska and Sangaris, and in September, Minusca are still probably not going to have the assets they need to deal effectively with the situation on the ground. They are, there aren't enough of them, the place is too big, and the infrastructure that they have to work with is too poor for them to operate effectively. And besides attempts to deal with the violence through physical security, what is and what is the political landscape like? Is there a civil society, for example, whose leaders might be able to sort of dial down the you know, feelings of the different groups? What, what scope is there for a, some sort of accommodations at the level of civil society? Well, there is an active civil society at Bangui, um, but it, it, it has few resources and, and very, very little influence. In the, whatever is happening in the Central African Republic right now seems to be out of the hands of, of the local population. I mean, there is a government, government in place, an interim government. Uh, Catherine Sambapanzo, the interim president, has just passed her 100th day in office. And you know, while her intentions may be, may be very good, and I, I imagine they are, she, her, her hands are tied behind her back. There's little she or anybody else in her administration can do, whether they cooperate with civil society or not. They don't have the resources. They haven't been able to pay their civil servants for, for months, if not years or, or decades. When they do get money to pay the civil servants, that money comes from outside the country. For the past couple of years, neighboring uh, Congo Brazzaville has been paying the salaries. Uh, the Europeans have been paying some of the salaries recently. Uh, there's, it's, I guess the fun, let me backtrack a little bit. A fundamental problem here is there has never been a real skill set for operating a functioning country. The Central Africa, we talk about rebuilding a state. I would change that, that, that statement to building a state. The Central African Republic never really existed as a fully functioning state, ever, not since independence. They need, I think the Central African Republic needs something along the lines of a transitional administration. And I go back to the Kosovo example, something along the lines of what was done there, or in, or in East Timor, in, in the Far East, or in, in Bosnia even, where we, we we find ways to, to help the Central Africans build from the ground up uh, an administration that includes a functioning armed forces, a functioning police service, a functioning education system, a functioning health system, all the kinds of normal things we expect a government to be able to provide to its population. Something that governments, administrations, civil services in the CAR have never 
done. They've never, they've never had the opportunity to do that because they've never had the resources to do that. So it's a long-term process. Going back to the concerns I have about MINUSCA deploying without enough people in, in September to bring stability to the country, that's only a small part of the problem. We can, we can put 100,000 peacekeepers in the Central African Republic who can keep anti-Balaka and Seleka apart. But when, when those peacekeepers eventually leave, if the situation on the ground hasn't changed, if there's no, more, if there's no hope for the people of the CAR to, to have a better life, to, to find a school to improve themselves in, to, to, to have a, a clinic where they can be treated for diseases or to have an opportunity to have a job that is beyond subsistence farming, or to be able to move beyond subsistence farming and grow crops that can get to a market, then we need to develop an electricity network, then we need to develop a road network. There's so much that has to be done that's beyond peacekeeping to make the Central African Republic a functioning country. Until that happens, it's always going to be unstable. Have these concerns been mentioned at all in the, the, the diplomatic discussions at the moment, or are people kind of focusing on the narrow send peacekeepers now and defer a discussion for bigger issues till later. Um, both of what you said is, is both those things you said are, are two things that are, are occurring. Yes, CIR experts, diplomats, those who know the country know this is what has to be done. But the, you know, one of the problems is, and it's always a big problem, is money and time. Uh, it, it's, it's a long process. It's, it's more than the administration of most contributing nation governments uh, have to offer. You know, presidents will come and go in the United States and prime ministers and presidents will come and go in, in Europe uh, before the Central African Republic's problems are fixed. And when, it, when contributing nations are thinking about, about money that they're, they're sending for development aid or peacekeeping, uh, they're also thinking about how this is going to go over down home with, with, the, with their voters. And, you know, in these days of, of uh, austerity and rising unemployment and, and, and economies that are, are, are shrinking all over the world, it's hard to convince the domestic voting population that money should be going to, uh, to a conflict in a country that until recently most people had never heard of. And then there's the other thing. I mean, the United Nations is very aware that when it gets involved in a country like the Central African Republic, it, it has to be careful that it's not a sort of a bottomless pit where it gets stuck there forever and gets accused of, of neo-colonialism. And that's, you know, that's one of the fears of people who talk about creating a transitional administration for the country. Yes, it would work, but are, is, is the UN going to be seen as some sort of new colonial power? And it certainly doesn't want to be seen in, in, in that light. There, there are a lot of stumbling blocks to get over to, to, to cross before any long-term real solution to the, the, the problems in the Central African Republic are, are addressed. Um, I'm sort of skating around your, your question a little bit, Richard, because I, I, I don't know, I don't really think there is an international will uh, that, that is strong enough or will last long enough to deal with the immense problems that exist in that country. I hope to be wrong on this one. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's going to take some new sort of thinking uh, and new sort of project development that, has, that probably hasn't been tried anywhere else before. And the, and the CAR does not exist in isolation as far as needs from the international community, whether it be for funding or peacekeeping. After, 
after things spiraled out of control in the CAR uh, in, in, in 2013, then South Sudan fell apart. And again, a great fear from all who were, were, were hoping that the CAR was finally going to get its, its place in, 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 the, in the aid, uh, on the aid agenda of the, of the world. Uh, well, South Sudan started to take that away. And then, and to make matters even worse, the, the whole Ukraine situation developed. And that was one of the reasons why the European force delayed uh, deploying in, in the CAR, because you know, Europeans, for reasons that are easy to understand, were concerned with, with what was happening in their own backyard. And that story is far from over as well. So any development, any attempt to fix the CAR, it's not in isolation with what's happening in the rest of the world. There are so many. There are only so many resources, and they can only be spread so thin. And the more, the, the greater the number of conflicts requiring the attention of the people who have the means to deal with them, uh, the less uh, the CAR can expect to come its way. Moving quickly to discussing more of the humanitarian situation, there certainly have been reports recently about a large exodus of uh, Muslim people fleeing from Bangui uh, westwards towards Cameroon, for example. What have been the major movements of people displaced by the violence? Well, it's, it's not just Muslims who have been displaced. displaced. There, 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 there's a, a, a large internally displaced persons community in the country and a large refugee community outside of the country. Uh, you mentioned Cameroon. Cameroon is generally a transit stop for for most of the Muslims who are who are leaving the Central African Republic. They don't usually stay there. They usually carry on and move to, uh, move move further north to Chad. Uh, Zongo in Equator province of the Democratic Republic of Congo, just opposite Bangui, is another big uh, area where a lot of the uh, a lot of the Central Africans, both Muslim and and uh, Christian. Have gone. Uh, again, I think it's important not to focus too much on Muslim versus Christian. It, it, they're, they're, the number of Muslims in the Central African Republic was never very large, and most of them were found in the extreme northeastern part of the country in an area called the Bakaga, an area that's sandwiched between Chad and Sudan's Darfur region. Um, Yes, there have always been Muslims in other parts of the country. There have been traders uh, in, living in Bangui. There have been nomadic herders living in the northwest who are of, of uh, Pearl origin, uh, a large ethnic group that's spread all over um, West Africa. Uh, and, and it's important to distinguish these, these Pearl and the traders who come from other West African countries from the members of Soleka who are predominantly from Bakaga in the northeast, a completely different area, and to a large extent from Chad and, and Sudan as well. Uh, you know, the, the pull and the traders from other parts of, of West Africa have, have lived, you know, I, I say without hesitation, very peacefully amongst Christians, and, and the, the distinction between them was not really made uh, until very recently. And of the, the humanitarian groups that are currently in the country, who, who are the major actors? So MSF seems to have a fairly large presence. Are there other groups that are kind of heavily involved at the moment? Yes, all the various UN humanitarian agencies, the, 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 the usual players who deal in, 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 in situations like this, UNHCR, UNICEF, uh, WHO, uh, are, all, are, are all there. There are other medical groups. You mentioned MSF. Who's, I mean, MSF... I think it's not an exaggeration to say it has a bigger medical staff 
in the Central African Republic than the, 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 the health ministry of the CAR. I, mean, I, I lived in the CAR in, in the late 1990s as part of the Minurka UN mission, and in those days there were far fewer than 100 uh, medical doctors in the entire country, and, and of those, almost all of them, save for about 10, were, were, were in Bangui. So again, I repeat, in a country the size of France and Belgium combined, outside of the capital city Bangui, there were possibly 10 medical doctors. And, 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 and at hospitals that um, probably had no electricity. If they did, they ran on generators that probably didn't have enough fuel to keep them going and certainly didn't have the supplies or the medication that they needed to deal with the people who came from there. So even before the conflict, the, the current conflict uh, exploded in, in March of 2013, the, 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 the basic services that should be provided by a government were provided by, by NGOs and, and, and UN humanitarian agencies. The state has never functioned as a state. Uh, so without, with, without the, 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 the help of, of NGOs, there'd be, there'd be really um, nowhere for, for the people of, of, of that country to turn to for services they should be expecting from the people who, uh, who are, 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 are in government. And what have the key challenges been for the humanitarian groups? So insecurity certainly has been one. MSF has had some of their staff targeted. Presumably things like logistics and levels of donor support have also been an issue. Oh, of course. I mean, we, we see you know, cam- campaigns for, for financing of these organizations in, in the media all the time. Uh, you know, MSF has, 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 has numerous media campaigns to try to raise awareness and, and hence raise uh, the number of donations they receive, even the UN agencies. Only a couple of weeks ago, in most, um, even here in, in South Africa, in most of the, the newspapers, there were big advertising campaigns for uh, um, uh, various UN humanitarian or- organizations to raise money. Pe- most people who give money to campaigns don't usually think about the, about the Central African Republic. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's a competition. They're competing with South Sudan. They're, they're competing with Mali. They're competing with, with the Ukraine. They're, uh, they're competing with, with, with earthquakes that, 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 that happened uh, in, in the Philippines. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's a full-time job for many people just to keep organizations like MSF in funds so that they can do their work because they're certainly not getting any money from the Central African Republic. Even if the CAR wanted to help MSF, they don't have any money to do so. And it costs so much more for them to offer health care in an isolated village in the Central African Republic than it would, uh, in a, in a, in, let's say, for a, a, a disaster in a place like the Philippines, because they have to fly to wherever they're going. They have to bring generators to generate electricity because there's no, there's no electricity grid. And, 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 and so on. It, all, all the problems that they face in other areas are usually compounded uh, in, in an area like the Central African Republic. Without asking you to pull out a crystal ball and predict the future, for people watching the CIR from the outside, what are going to be the, some the key issues over the next, say, like two or three months until the UN forces arrive? Well, uh, I think... A lot of people are hoping that the arrival of MINUSCA is going to be 
the, the, the magic bullet, the panacea that it hits. I don't think the situation is going to change very much between now, then, and post-deployment of MINUSCA. Uh, what, what needs to be done is a dialogue has to be developed and pursued and continued between the belligerent parties in the Central African Republic. Soleka has broken up into various factions, some of which are more belligerent than others. There are elements of what was Soleka that have agreed to be part of a disarmament process. There are others which are refusing. And the same is true with Antibalaka. Uh, they, they have to be brought together to talk about why it's in their interest to disarm. But then they need reasons for why it's in their interest. And if, if, if there is no functioning state, if there doesn't appear to be something better on the horizon than what they've got now, it's going to be very hard to convince them that disarmament is a good prospect. What is also important is that those who are supplying the belligerents, whether they be the various Seleka groups or the various anti-Balaka groups, need to be stopped. And, you know, there's a, there's a UN panel of experts that is working right now on identifying these suppliers to the belligerents. And, and you know, some of them are known, and some, you know, there, there are people like former President Francois Bouguizé, who is, is, is believed to be one of the major suppliers of arms and, and finances to a, a part of Antibalaka. There are, um, there, there are people following up leads uh, that there are elements in Qatar, in the, the Gulf oil state or gas state, I should say, of Qatar, who have been funding uh, elements of Soleka since uh, the time Michel Jatodia came into power, uh, the, the deposed Soleka leader. Uh, there, you know, there are, there's an investigation into what Michel Jatodia is getting up to in Benin, where he is living in exile, and whether or not he still has a hand in arming elements of Seleka. And then, of course, there, there are the leaders of Sudan and, and, and Chad, uh, Omar al-Bashir in Khartoum and Idris Debihitno in N'Djamena, who are both known to have uh, had their hands in helping to create instability in the Central African Republic. If these people are not uh, convinced that they should leave the CAR alone, and, or, or rather help build a country rather than destroy it. Unless these things happen, uh, there's no reason to believe that a country that has not known stability since its independence in 1960 is going to find uh, stability in, in the coming months. The prospects are not good, I'm afraid, Richard, unless we start to identify and bring to book the people uh, who are, are responsible for making the Central African Republic the mess that it continues to be in today.